A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. So you're here because you want to know modern, vintage, everything in the world of card collecting today. Chuck, he's the collector, and Joe, he's the dealer, welcome you to the best card talk that covers it all. From the hottest new cases to 67 high numbers, all brought to you by Oxygen Financial. Breathe easier about life with Oxygen Financial. Visit OxygenFinancial.net and buy Sports Card Investor, the leading source for videos, podcasts, and articles about investing in sports cards. Profit from the hobby you love by visiting sportscardinvestor.com. Collector, dealer, take it away. Well, thank you so much. We will take it away. It is the collector and the dealer. I'm Chuck Oliver. I'm the collector. He's Joe Davis. He's the dealer. Joe, how are you? Doing great, Chuck. Having a super morning and I uh, can't, can't wait to hit on some great topics today. Absolutely. Uh, and we are here, I tell you every week, support from Oxygen Financial. Oxygen Financial, breathe easier. My wife and I have had them as our personal financial advisors for several years now. Uh, it's taxes, it's investments, um, it's just it's it's all sorts of financial uh, input from folks who know what they're doing, and it has really really been a blessing in our life. And I wanted to spread the word, so that's Oxygen Financial. Uh, Joe, we're also here because of Sports Card Investor and Jeff Wilson, a guy that we both know. You've been very good friends with him for a long time. Tell everybody who Jeff is and about his YouTube channel because it is a tremendous resource and it's free. Yeah, Jeff has a great channel on sportscardinvestor.com, and then he has his YouTube channel there. Uh, he's constantly providing real-time data and analytics for the sports card industry. He's tracking cards, tracking trends, tracking player movement uh, up and down the scale. So, yeah, lots of great resources. We just finished up the virtual with him, the virtual national last week. And so I uh, encourage everybody to go out and visit the site. All right, uh, Collector and the Dealer, episode 16. What's going on in the retail world? And I'm going to tell you, Joe, uh, obviously we're now four-plus months now um, into COVID and shutdowns and then sort of reopenings. Uh, I would have imagined that, you know, baseball cards, uh, you know, magic cards, whatever, it, it would have been real easy for folks to kind of look at that during this sort of situation with so much uncertainty and go, hmm. Maybe I'll check back into that later when when I realize how this this COVID is going to uh, turn out. That has not been the case, certainly through mail order, uh, eBay auctions, things like that. But you're in a different category as well. That's you on eBay, but you have a storefront. You've got bricks and mortar. You've got employees. You have rent. You have all of this. Um, how has that been into the business been either for you personally or just store owners throughout the hobby? It's been tough. It's been challenging, um, but it's also stretched us. Uh, I talk with a lot of top retail store owners across the country on a regular basis to see how they're handling things. And, you know, we've been closed for months now. And it, as far as walk-in traffic, which has been frustrating because I love hanging out with our customers and I love being able to buy collections from people that bring them in. 
so we've continued to offer curbside service. I feel like a, a sonic car hop sometimes running back and forth between cars and, and dropping things off. And so it's been a challenge because we've seen a huge dip in our retail sales, but we have seen a, a large uptick in our GotBaseballCards.com sales and our eBay sales and so forth because I think so many collectors uh, intermittently are stuck at home, some for long periods of time, some, some for weeks at a time. And, you know, we've had some states that'll close and then they'll reopen and some have reclosed and so forth. So um, we have uh, collectors have not stopped collecting. I can tell you that even though retailers may have had to stop uh, operating under normal things, uh, normal methods of selling. But uh, so it, it stretched us. We've actually uh, greatly improved our online presence during this time and added a lot more inventory to our website and to uh, other portals that we sell on. Um, so it's, it's made us find new ways to interact with our customers through social media. And so, you know, th thank, thank the Lord for the web because we can use that as a resource to interact with people when we can't interact in person. Yeah. And Joe, you know, I am not Pollyanna, you know, I'm not Nell walking out of the woods after 30 years. Okay. I, I, I live in the adult world here. Um, uh, but you hit on something that's really important there as, as unbelievably tough as this has been for, for every industry, sports cards included, uh, you said it's forced us to stretch a little bit. It's forced us to kind of push the walls a little bit. Um, and even though this doesn't necessarily change things, you know, in, in August of 2020, when we get through this and we will, uh, I think that there are going to be a lot of card shop owners, um, a lot of retailers, like storefront retailers who look around and realize their business actually is going to be stronger and grow even more because now they're really pushing it in more than just, hey, I unlock the door every morning at nine. Yeah, because, I mean, we, we've been stretched. We've learned new ways. Um, and the other thing, too, I think as sports come back, I mean, it's been amazing. You know, I've had people ask me, like, why is the hobby so strong when there are no sports on TV? And I've told them, I said, because everyone who is a sports fan still wants to connect with sports in some way, shape, or form. And so what's been crazy is we've, we've been seeing players' cards go up when they're not playing, when there's no on-field performance connected to it. So I think we will see even greater um, upward movement on certain players as they are playing, as they're performing, as they're putting up stats, as rookies start playing, so forth. So uh, I, I think we're going to see even more movement. People are going to be, so, you know, when, when uh, people appreciate something that they've been denied. And so when people have been denied the opportunity to shop at a local card store or go to a card show, I think they're going to be rabid to, to get back in there and shop. Okay, Joe, we're going to go a quick quiz for you, okay? Um, of the 1984 sets, there was Donruss, Fleer, Tops. Those are the major baseball card sets. Which of, you would, which of those three would you say is the, quote, best set, most popular, value, et cetera? The Donruss by far. Okay. It, at, it at was a, back then, still is. Yeah, out of three pretty okay sets. Um, yeah. So 84 Donruss. I have an idea that I'm just going to start walking into shows, card shops, whatever. Where's your commons box or your, you know, your your whatever box? And I'm going to go through looking for every Steve Carlton, George Brett, Ricky Henderson, every dollar or two dollar common I can find. Um, what is your idea about? Because I don't, I don't really do that. I, I, I I'm a sniper, not a shotgun. Um, what is your idea about that? Just going back and starting to buy up every Nolan Ryan card. I mean, base dollar two dollar three dollar cards yeah i think 
with, with so many things in the industry where the pricing is out of control, I think there are so many bargains like that, especially, I mean, I love the 84 Donruss design. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the 84 player is a popular set as well, but of course everybody knows those sets because of the Mattingly rookie and the strawberries. But, um, yeah, I think there are bargains. I mean, we, we, we at this, at our store, we actually have boxes of vintage back into the forties. We start in the late forties where we break down affordable star cards, you know, dollar cards, $3 cards, $5 cards. And, uh, I mean, there, you're right. There are a lot of bargains, you know, Brett, Yao, you know, uh, Ryan's a little pricey in that set, yeah. especially graded versions, but, but there are a lot of hall of famers in that set. You can buy for a dollar, $2 hey, yeah. Joe, beautiful card. If I can get a 36 year old Mike Schmidt card for a buck or two, mm-hmm. I mean, I, again, I don't know when I would be able to turn it. And, and I rarely talk about this in you know, in the terms that you have to, because you have expenses overhead. Uh, but it is about getting a card and being able to flip it and what you can do. And I'm just, you know, listening to so much of what you've told me about uh, different approaches recently and some of the second-year cards that we were talking about in an early episode. Uh, I just wanted to pick your brain on that. All right, we're going to take a quick break, come back, and get into vintage. And this week, during the vintage part, I'm going to put Joe to work. That's next on The Collector and the Dealer. I told you we're here because of support from Oxygen Financial. They're a sponsor of The Collector and the Dealer, but where my wife and I are, that's also in part thanks to Oxygen Financial. We have been personal clients of Oxygen for several years now, and originally it was for help with our taxes, looking to pay what we're supposed to, but not more. And we had been paying more for years, actually, it turned out. With Oxygen's help, that immediately changed for the better. And my wife and I decided, let's see what Oxygen thinks of our investments and overall strategy. Well, three years later, after making that choice, I can tell you we breathe easier when it comes to the market than at any time before getting with Oxygen Financial. And that's including the current issues all of us everywhere are dealing with. If you might have a question about where you and your family are, any at all, take the step we did and visit OxygenFinancial.com. You can get a free copy of Oxygen's 21-day budget cleanse, as well as Oxygen's guide on how to save up to $100,000 in taxes in 2020, just for telling them you heard Chuck talking about it. Breathe easier about life. Visit OxygenFinancial.com. A popular thought in the sports card world is that there's two camps, those that love the hobby and those that profit from the industry. Thanks to Sports Card Investor, you can do both. Jeff Wilson has built his Sports Card Investor YouTube channel and his personal website, sportscardinvestor.com, so that if you're a beginner looking to flip cards for cash or a returning veteran to the hobby wanting to make sure you get the best deals ahead of any emerging price trends, Sports Card Investor is for you. Sports Card Investor, the leading source for videos, podcasts, and articles about investing in sports cards. Profit from the hobby you love by visiting sportscardinvestor.com. We're back on The Collector and the Dealer, episode 16, and I told you I'm putting Joe to work in this part of the podcast. It's vintage, but but Joe's got a uh, an expansive knowledge and a lot of experience, obviously full-time dealer for over 20 years and obviously been in the hobby for over 40 Joe, let's jump into this, uh, and I want to start in the vintage part of this uh, this episode in 1962. The 62 top set, gorgeous, really, really difficult because of the wood grain borders. But I want to ask you about the set, and especially the commons. There are the, quote, 
regular issue cards and then there is a green tint variation on some of them where that wood grain border has a much lighter and then a light green sort of tint to it um what has been your experience with those over the years as far as price etc um because collectors may normally you know collecting a set want both versions of it uh what about the availability and the prices of the green tint variations they're tough. I, I, I rarely see them. I, I like if, if somebody just brings in a bunch of 62 commons, I rarely ever see them. The only time I remember seeing many at a time was when I bought a complete master set um, where the, the collector had put every version you know, together. Wow. Um, and I have not ever graded any of them, um, but I know there is um, uh, high demand, you know, for, 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 for set completists who want to get every version in high grade. Uh, I don't know the exact um, measurement as to how much tougher they are, uh, but it, you know, for novice collectors, it's easy to miss. And so yeah. it is something to be aware of. Um, it's kind of like the Mac McCormick in 68 with the, uh, the different 10 on the Giants. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I missed that one at the national. I had actually had a guy find that in my dollar box and he said, Hey, you don't really want to sell this to me for a dollar, do you? And I was like, Oh my goodness, I don't believe we missed that. So, um, any, anybody can miss things like that. So, yeah, sixty twos, tough set. Another one where you don't have. I mean, you got the Brock rookie, but uh, there are not a lot of iconic rookies there. I guess Perry as well. But, but yeah, those are tough variations uh, for collectors who are not familiar. Uh, good to pull some up on eBay. Uh, again, I'm not sure what the graded. Ver- how much a premium they bring, but but very tough, uh, very sought after for those who are trying to build a master set. Yeah, you know it's funny sometimes um, because I, you see you're processing cards because these are these these are commodities in some cases for you. Um, Joe, I was at a show and I'm looking through a stack and they're all in you know soft sleeves and top loaders because that's the condition I'm, I'm looking for mostly. Um, and if you remember, there's a guy who pitched for the Cardinals named Ray Washburn. And I'm looking through a stack of 67 commons, and I'm after like four specific cards. And I look at it, and I turn it around, and I show the guy, I was like, this one's autographed. And he looked at me, and was like, yeah, that's not supposed to be in there. Uh, and, and he took it away. He was like, I bought a bunch of autographed cards. I thought I had pulled them all. He was like, that's not supposed to be in there. Um, and so you're right. Every dealer at some point, because if you're looking through, hey, I got a stack of 67 commons, all you're doing is quickly looking at them for corners, condition, you know, whatever. And then you're making an offer. Uh, let's jump into something that I brought up a little bit last episode, Joe. Why the difference in which series is the tough series from year to year sometimes with what tops would issue? For instance, you know, 1958, for instance, I think it's the first series in 58 is the most expensive. And I'm not even talking about yellow letter variations. 57 is one where a mid-series is the expensive one. Uh, 63 is a mid-series where I'm used to, and I think most people, oh, 66, 67, the high numbers. No, it ain't the high numbers. It may be the first series. Right. Well, to help people for foundationally, to help listeners understand why the high series always typically would bring a premium back in the day, retailers, you know, they would order series one or series two, whatever. And often their shelves were still stocked with product from earlier in the season. So they were like, hey, we don't need any more Topps baseball cards this year, or we don't need any more Topps football cards, or whatever the case was. So the lower series in general would be the ones that there would be more available of because a lot of retailers never even stocked the high series cards. And you can go back and ask kids from that era. They're like, hey, my store never got in high number 71 Topps. So it is an oddity for those certain years you were discussing where – the mid-series 
Uh, and the only thing I can guess is, let's say, um, say the retailer had bought a lot of Series 1, hadn't moved through them, so they didn't place orders for the mid-series. Then maybe later in the year, they finally had moved through their early series. So they're like, okay, we'll take some now. Maybe that happened in certain years. That's my only guess because it does seem odd that, you know, the low numbers and the high numbers are available, but the mid-series are not, like with the 57. So, isn't, isn't that just so incredible, Joe, that you've got some shop owner in 1957 saying, I just can't move these 57 tops baseball cards. Don't send me anymore. Uh, and now, and so that's why it's the third or fourth. It's one of the mid-series in 57, like you were saying. Uh, continuing, collector in the dealer, uh, Joe. Now, everybody listening, Joe did not make an accusation. Joe just made an accurate statement. Uh, it might have been five or six episodes ago. You made just a slight, short comment. Um, I'd asked you about the 1985 Star Company Jordan card and sticker we were talking about the Jordan Rookie, which, of course, everybody accepts as the 86-87 Fleer. And I said, well, what about the 85 Star Company? And you're like, well, and this is what Joe said. Sometimes you hear stories about all the 85 Star Company cards might not have been printed in 1985. Um, well, talk a little bit more about that. But I've also, I had somebody listening to the podcast and say, ask Joe about the 89 Upper Deck Griffey Jr. Rookie, uh, because there was some speculation that maybe some of those were printed after 1989. Yeah, Star Company, that's been the rumor for years. And because of that, some of the grading companies won't even grade those cards because they don't believe they're truly authentic. What The story I have, have heard was that the original plates were like something like somebody bought the original printing plates and then they were able to go back and print more. And so I don't know how many years that may or may not have gone on, but that's the rumor in the hobby. Um, as far as the 89 Upper Deck, one big misconception, first of all, is that because it was really one of the first premium brands, as people think, it's really short printed. Uh, first of all, um, I was at a conference with Upper Deck and they showed us an order form from 1989 where you could request up to 10,000 cases. It said additional 2% cash discount if you take over 10,000 cases of the product. So this was an order form sent to retailers. So. Uh, you know, I, I once had a call from someone in the Midwest and he said he had a warehouse with like a thousand cases still put up. And this was only like two years ago. Wow. So that product, you know, it, you know, with the surge in Griffey cards in the last six months, um, the product has shot up. But first of all, there is a there was a lot of that product printed as far as the reprinting of the Griffey's. I've never heard that definitively that it happened but i do know that by their first hockey releases the next year i do know that um a lot of that product was reprinted um uh, that, that the story goes um and this i believe this was printed hey, um, joe you're doing a tremendous job job of speaking with the exact words you need to use here <laughs> yeah, yeah. covering yourself legally go ahead man yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I have heard that the ninety ninety one upper deck high series was uh, reprinted, um, uh, the, like the French edition of the hockey. Mm -hmm. it, it's been said in the hobby that uh, they, they kind of once the product got really hot, suddenly a whole lot more of it got put on the market. And I can tell you from a retailer standpoint that at one point we were selling those in our store in ninety one for like I believe it was like twenty dollars a pack because they were wow. thought to be so rare. Now you can buy the, the entire box for about $20.
Speaking of Upper Deck, and we, you and I were talking about this uh, off air at one point, and this is why I love having Joe on, um, because I was saying, were you at the National when Upper Deck was giving away their demo cards? And I said, Joe, I remember it was Dwayne Bice and somebody else, and he said, Wally Joyner. I was at a dinner with him a couple of years ago. Um, tell everybody the story about Upper Deck when they debuted. It was two demo cards of Dwayne Bice, who was a pitcher for the Angels. As you said, it was Wally Joyner. And then talk about, in general, those promo cards they gave away at the National. I think it was in Anaheim. Uh, and then also there was like a Nolan Ryan and Bugs Bunny card. Just talk about Upper Deck and the promo cards and the craze back in the day and then any value those cards may have today. Yeah, the early 90s. I think the peak of that craze was actually the 91 Anaheim National, which I didn't get to attend, but my partner did. And um, the craze was so uh, out of control uh, because the 92 National Atlanta, it was the same way. Because basically, as soon as the doors would open, nobody cared about the, the dealer booth. Everybody would, would literally sprint to the manufacturer booth to try to get the promo cards. And I remember um, at the um, uh, at those early nationals, we would have buy signs at our booth like, hey, paying this much for this promo, paying this. Mm-hmm. It was like we're buying at 10 and selling for 15 or we're buying at 50 and selling at 60. And it was just an incredible market. But yeah, going back to the, the Bice and Joiner, uh, Joiner shared with us that they were like, um, I think Bice was the first contact and then Joiner got on board. And uh, if I remember correctly, they were like small, had, had like a, maybe a small ownership in the company at the time or something like that. There was, there was some financial uh, gain for them to, to agree to be pictured on the promo cards and, um, I don't remember the exact story, but I, th- I think they had maybe a, a tiny stake in the company, like when it launched. Mm-hmm. So that's how they were involved. Cause I mean, they weren't, Joyner was a pretty big name at the oh, time, yeah. uh, but, uh, Bice was not, but, uh, that was who they were able to, to, to connect and, uh, to put on their promo cards. But yeah, one of my favorites is the Nolan Ryan and Tweety promo, it's which Tweety. was a promo okay. for, yeah, for the uh, Looney Tunes card sets. And, uh, as a, I collect a lot of Looney Tunes stuff myself. And uh, one of the other big things they did was the holograms that they came out with of showing, you know, Reggie Jackson playing baseball with, with one of the Looney Tune characters on a hologram card. So, but yeah, the, the promo craze, it still happens. I mean, companies um, occasionally will send out something, but it's nothing like it was in the early nineties. It, it was, it was quite a craze. Is there value to those cards? Like, do you occasionally have like some, have somebody ask about them? Are they sitting in your case somewhere? Yeah, I actually have like a three row box at the store of vintage promos. And occasionally when a player like Jordan, for instance, you know, really spikes again, we actually just, we had a bunch of uh, late nineties, black diamond promo sand they labeled them sample cards of michael jordan mm-hmm. and so that, that's a tough foil card so i actually have a number of those at psa right now being graded um because they're you know it's labeled sample it's rarer than the base card and you know it's jordan so there's demand so uh there are certain ones um it would be it would probably be neat just to go on ebay and type in you know promo psa 10 and sort by price and just see what comes up because there are some tough uh, sought-after ones out there. My gosh, after this episode, Joe going to kick me off the uh, podcast. He was the first segment. He's the second segment. Now, Joe buys a box. Joe buys a box. All right, 
right, Joe, the man says you're buying a box. Uh, what are you getting? What you going to pay? What are we going to find? This week, I'm hopping in the DeLorean. I'm going back to 1976 to buy a box of snack cakes, believe it or not. I'm going to, one of my favorite things in the mid seventies as a kid was buying hostess snack yep. cake to get those three cards on the back of the box. Yeah. There'd be a and panel on the bottom of them. Yeah. Yep. Right on the bottom. I still remember having a, a uh, argument with my mom one week because, you know, every week you'd go to the store and you'd wait for a new panel to show up that you didn't have. And I remember one week I, I thought I'd hit the mother load because the local grocery store had eight different boxes of panels that I did not have yet. So what did I do at my, uh, as an eight year old, I carried eight boxes of hostess Twinkies well, and wow. across the grocery store, drop them into my mom's cart. She was like, you are not getting eight boxes of snack cakes in one week. But I assured her, I remember saying, but mom, I promise I'll eat them all this week. <laughs> Absolutely. And I don't have George Scott yet. I have to have this panel with George Scott. So the 76 host of snack panels, man, Joe ain't lying. And some people you'll find them uh, hand cut and some of them, it's a fine job. Um, Joe, what I like, and I, you'll see this every so often, is you'll see the entire box that has, you know, you can kind of angle it, bend it forward so it lays flat. And um, those host of snack panels, they're they're just tremendous. So that's Joe buying a box of uh, Ho-Hos from 1976. Yep. Um, for my vintage set of the week, Joe, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, this ain't a great set, but it's growing on me. Uh, in 1960, the Fleer Company, which we all know now, um, at, oh yeah, baseball cards. This was the first time, the first real set that Fleer had ever put out. And they were a candy and confection company. And, of course, they couldn't get, you know, contracts for, you know, Bob Gibson and Willie Mays and everybody in 1960. So they decided they were going to put out a set of 79 cards, great players from earlier in the 20th century. And I mean way earlier. And it's not real popular. Part of it is because, uh, you know, like Al Simmons, it's not even a picture of him playing. He had been retired for 25 years, and it's a picture of him uh, as, a, as a coach with the Cleveland Indians. But it is nothing but all-timers, um, and it, it's, it's, it's just a fun, affordable set. And so I've kind of gotten into the 1960 Fleer all-time great baseball set. Uh, any idea about that one? I have to imagine it's, it's not something that people beat a path to your door uh, for, Joe, but, but I like it. I think it's kind of neat. Yeah, I do too. I love, you, know, you can get Ruth, Ruth Gehrig, Williams. I mean, you get a lot of the, the big-name stars at, at much more affordable prices than their cards were, you know, I guess for Ruth for 25 years earlier. Um, they, it's a decent card stock. Um, they, you know, if you can find centered ones, they sometimes will grade pretty well. So, um, yeah, I, I love, as a collector, I love the set. You know, as a retailer, um, I've sold a lot of them over the years. There's not a lot of mark. I mean, you, you catch yourself selling an ungraded Gary card for $30, $40. You know, so it's not, not a huge uh, profit in that. But uh, as a collector, I really like the set, yes. All right, uh, that's my set, and I should be able to complete it. Like I said, it's, it's listed as 1 through 80, but uh, there was one of the cards they did not issue because of contract thing, Pepper Martin. Um, and it's because he was actually with the Tulsa Drillers, I believe, uh, and was on a different card set out there. So Pepper Martin, who hadn't played in the bigs in about 25 years, uh, he actually, actually had a contractual problem, so it's only 79 cards. Joe? Tremendous visit. Uh, we will do it again in seven days, folks. The Collector and the Dealer, we will be back next week.
This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.